Hello and welcome to Great Church Vienna. We are glad to have Daniel Zuch with us today, who will tell us more about the good news. Looking at different passages of the Bible, he will help us understand what the good news is, and not only that, but also how important the good news is for us and others. How is the good news fulfilled in Jesus? Well, join us now and listen to this sermon titled, We Have Good News, But What Is It? I'm happy that uh, Daniel Zuch is here today with us. Um, he's been uh, preaching in Grace Church a couple of times many, many years ago. I'm happy that you're here with us again. One. It's great to be back here with you, and hello to everybody watching on the live stream. Um, my name is Daniel Zuch. I'm married to a wonderful woman, Rachel Zuch, and she sends her greetings to all those that uh, know her. And uh, I am the leader of Team Mission in Austria and Germany, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I came to Austria in 1989 to help churches, denominations with church planting, with starting, uh, multiplying disciples and new churches. And we helped to start a church here in Vienna, the Baptistengemeinde Beheimgasse, where I was pastor for a number of years. Rachel is the founder of Herzwerk, of Heartworks, and chairwoman of the board. If you've heard of Herzwerk, I think we presented that here a couple times. Uh, but it's a pleasure to be able to bring God's word to you today. And I want to start off with a question. What did you say the last time that you shared the good news, the gospel with someone? Don't have to answer out loud right now. But what was the content of what you communicated to somebody? And that could have been with somebody that was already a follower of Christ. What was the content of what you said that the good news is all about? If you had lived back in the day of the New Testament in the Roman-occupied world or the Roman-ruled world, you would have heard uh, a lot the word oiangelion, oiangelion, evangelium, good news, gospel. That was a word that was used in the Roman world to announce the birth of a new child into the family of the Roman rulers, or when a battle was won. So even if you lived in a small Jewish village in Palestine during that day, a town crier, what we would call a town crier like in England, would come a Roman would come riding on a horseback on horseback into your village and he would say good news good news oiangelion oiangelion and he would give the message that something had happened had occurred in history and it has ramifications for the future now that word 
gospel, good news, euangelion, evangelium, is the word that was used to announce the birth of Jesus. It was the word, as we're going to see this morning, that Jesus used to describe what he had come to do in being. And there's some, something that has happened in Western church history. I don't know how, if I can say this about African church history or about in the Philippines or how that is. But in the Western world in the last approximately 100 years, this good news, this gospel, this godspell, okay, which means good news, has been reduced to something that is just something that people have to believe so that they can be guaranteed that they'll go to heaven when they die. The gospel, the good news, has been truncated. Because as we will see, I hope, when we look at what Jesus said the gospel was, it was in a much bigger context than just something for individuals to believe in order to go to heaven. Now, I am not saying that that's not part of the good news. And if you're sitting here right now, or if you're watching on the live stream, and you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. That is imperative to turn to him to repent and turn to him and believe and become his follower. That's absolutely imperative. But the gospel, the Oyangelian message of something that happened in history and has ramifications for the future is much more than just an insurance policy for individuals to be able to know that they're going to go to heaven. It has to do with transformation. Now, others who are much more involved in this even than I am or much smarter than I am have tried to recover from the teachings of Jesus, from the Gospels and from the book of Acts and from the writings. What is this gospel really all about? And I want you to watch a video that is a little bit provocative from Scott McKnight. It's actually a promotional for a book that he wrote about 10 years ago, uh, The King Jesus Gospel. Listen to what Scott McKnight has to say about recovering the good news. We're going to be watching a couple of three videos today, not real long ones. Recently, I read some research that tells us that 90% of children who grow up in evangelical homes make a decision to receive Christ into their heart. And I think most of us expect those numbers. Of that 90%, only 22% are following Jesus when they're 35. And I think most of us are shocked by that number. I know I am. 
Think about it. We're losing two-thirds of those who make a decision for Christ. There's something wrong. Something seriously wrong. What's wrong is the gospel we're preaching. wrong is the method we are using to coax and persuade our youth to think they are in. They've made the decision. A gospel that becomes obsessed with making decisions rather than disciples aborts the design of the gospel of Jesus. Here's how I see it. The so-called gospel at work in many of our churches today is actually deconstructing the church into a society of the saved instead of constructing a society that follows Jesus to the cross. To solve this problem, some pastors think that what we need to do is ramp up our emphasis on sin. Others think we need to increase the emphasis on the wrath of God and the scorching fires of an eternal hell. Yet others want to refocus everything on grace and justification by faith. But these aren't going to solve our problem. Because if you tweak a weak gospel, you still have a weak gospel. Because what we think is the gospel is not the original gospel. So we need to start all over again. We need to ask, what was the original gospel? Or, what was the apostolic gospel? Or even more, what was the gospel Jesus preached? We need to be willing to let the Bible say what the Bible says and not make the Bible say what we want it to say. Maybe one reason why young evangelicals are walking away from the church today is because the gospel many hear in churches is not the gospel Jesus preached, and they want Jesus' gospel. So let's go back to the Bible together, and let's see what Jesus and Peter and Paul meant when they said gospel. What we will find will require a massive change. What we need to recover is the original good news, and that good news is what I call the King Jesus gospel. I hope you're a little bothered by that. Stirred up. That you have questions. And what I want to do today is just to look at a few passages from the Gospels where Jesus is said that he preached the Gospel that he preached the good news to find out what was it. One guy has written a book, Derwin Gray, and and the book is called, By the Way, Getting Serious About Following Jesus. And he said this. He's writing in the context of the North American church. He says, often the church in North America has transformed the gospel from a corporate communal understanding to an individual individualistic private faith 
The gospel becomes a story of how Jesus came to save me from the wrath of God and to help me reach heaven when I die instead of a story of God in Christ rescuing, reconciling, and redeeming a people who exists for the glory and mission of God. As it was said in the video, as Scott McKnight said in the video, we have changed the gospel into to something that is just about decisions, and decisions are a part of following Christ, instead of a culture of discipleship, of following Jesus, of learning from Jesus. But what was the good news that Jesus preached? Please turn to Mark 1. And I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now this happens after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And it says in John 1, 14 and 15, after John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel, Evangelion. Now, did Jesus say, um, Jesus died for your sins and rose again? No, that hadn't happened yet. What was... His message, he was proclaiming the good news of God, the good news that comes from God, the good news about God. And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel. It has to do with God. It has to do with the kingdom of God. And he is announcing that that kingdom, which was announced and talked about in the Old Testament, that that time had arrived for that kingdom to break into this world where God would be king and it happens in his own person. It happens in the person of Jesus Christ who is Lord. So he says, he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe The good news. He's evangelizing. He's proclaiming and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's his central message. All through the gospels. And we're only going to look at just things from the gospels today. All through the the gospels. The central message of Jesus is the kingdom of God has arrived and he's at the center of it. Now you are studying the, the, or going through the book of Acts. 
And it's quite interesting, and it would be way, take too, way too much time today to look at how the apostles in the book of Acts communicated the gospel, but they continued this message. They continued this message. Look, at, look with me, please, at uh, Luke 4, 16 to 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he, be- and he began by saying to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, again, we don't have time to go through all the background to this, but he is quoting from the Old Testament Bible text from the Hebrew Bible, from their Bible back then. They didn't have a New Testament yet, which had to do with the year of Jubilee. This, this time when God would forgive the debts, where he would restore the land to the original family owners, and where there would be freedom and renewal. And he's, he's quoting from these different Old Testament verses, and it is described as preaching the good news to the poor. It's described as proclaiming freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. That is the good news. That is the oiangelion. That is what he is announcing has begun, has happened in history, and has ramifications for the future. Look with me, please, also at Matthew four twenty three. My temptation is to want to just dig, dive deeper into all these passages, but I want to give you an overview. Matthew four twenty three. Throughout Galilee. Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The kingdom of God has broken into this world in the person of Jesus. What was promised in the Old Testament about God renewing and and bringing the world back to the point where Jews and Gentiles together would be partnering with him 
in ruling the world. That time has broken in, in the person of Jesus. Jesus announced the kingdom of God has arrived. That is the gospel. And central to that, which not very many understood then, was that this King Jesus, that this Lord, Jesus who is Lord, to make that happen would have to die on a cross, shed his blood, be buried, and rise again on the dead and ascend to the Father. And that's when you read in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a, a central verse that has to do with, the, with what the gospel is all about. It says, he died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. And that according to the scriptures doesn't mean there are a few isolated verses that you can prove that from, that it was announced in advance. That according to the scripture means the whole flow of the Old Testament. The anticipation of what had not yet happened. That was not reality. That in Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that that good news and that kingdom breaks into this world. It's linked with the whole message of God. It's linked with Israel, the history of the Jews. It's linked together with the Old Testament, and it's not just a New Testament thing, this good news. Now, I want us to watch another video. It's called The Gospel of the Kingdom, where it summarizes and hopefully gives a good overview of what this gospel of the kingdom is all about and links the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Let's watch this video. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel... 
they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. To understand this bigger context of what the good news, the gospel, is all about. This this message of something that happened in history with ongoing ramifications, not just for us personally, but for the whole world. Um, When you have opportunity to talk to people who are not yet Christ followers and uh, you, you, you are thinking about, okay, how do I do that? When you 
Start to talk to other people announcing the good news. What do you say? Does it have Jesus at the center? Does it have God's best word is the German word, Wohlwollen, for the, for the whole world at the center? Now, the individuals need to respond to it. And as I've already said, if you're here or you're watching and you have not yet responded to the good news and become a follower of the Lord Jesus, that's priority. So the responsibility of the individuals is not taken away, but the ramifications of this are much bigger than just individuals believing so that they can be forgiven and then know that they're going to be with God when they die. There are ramifications that have to do with justice in the world. There are ramifications about how we should be involved in helping the poor or helping men and women in prostitution or helping people, uh, helping mothers that are raising their children alone or helping people that don't have enough food. All that is part of the proclamation and the living of the gospel of the church. And it's not just a message so that I can know that I'm forgiven and go to heaven, although that's part of it too. That's central to it too. (laughs) And one of the things that I I think if our friends, our neighbors, and family members who aren't yet Christ followers, if they're really totally honest, when we Christians start proclaiming the good news, the gospel, um, they're not, at least initially, not thinking um, okay about Jesus or about God I think what goes through their mind is, if I believe this, am I going to become like him? (laughs) Or am I going to become like her? I think that's the first question. Or am I going to become like the people in their church? I think that's an initial thing that they consider and take quite seriously. And so a question and something that for us as a community of believers as a local church and as an individual is to what degree am I living the good news in how I live? To what degree is it impacting me? Am I, to what degree am I being transformed by this good news even if I believed on Christ 25 years ago, to what degree is the gospel still relevant in my life and changing me? And when our families and our neighbors and our work colleagues sense an authenticity about us and they sense a transformation going on in our lives where there's a humility and the fruit of the Spirit and all those characteristics of people that are God followers, Christ followers, that creates credibility when we say, hey, there is good news. There is good news. Jesus Christ has come 
to, to be Lord and to change and usher in God's Wohlwollen for the whole world. So how is it by you? Does your life, how you live, reflect the reality of the good news? Now that question is not, are you living a perfect life? Because nobody here is. That question is not, uh, are you trying your best? That question is, are you, have you allowed the gospel of the kingdom, this Jesus who is king and Lord, to do his work of transformation in your life in this, in this process of what in theology we call sanctification, of making us more like Jesus? How about for your church? Is your church being transformed? Is Grace Church being transformed by the gospel? It's not a question of whether we have our worship services taking place, although that's a fine thing. It's not a question of whether we're meeting the budget, although money is a part of what it's all about. And it's not... Um, uh, 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 it doesn't have to do with how many members we have. It has to do with growing to be like this king, of being transformed, of measuring that as much as possible, of how, to what degree the gospel is transforming us of, as individuals, as families, and as the church of Jesus. And that is what lays a groundwork and creates credibility when you talk with your friends, family, work colleagues, neighbors about the gospel. They see the reality of the gospel in us. And that lays a groundwork for talking about their need for the gospel as well. Jesus saw himself as completing and continuing the story of the Old Testament in Israel. Man and God ruling together on the earth. Israel, born out of Abraham, was to become a blessing to the nations. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Jesus, as a true Israelite, fulfills all of that. And Jews and Gentiles are together part of that new creation, that new family of God that, that continues the work of Jesus, of proclaiming the good news. With Jesus in the middle point, Jesus is Lord. Um, I hope you're curious to see how and maybe you'll go back to, I think you're what, Acts 18 or, or so in, in the series around there I saw on the website. I hope you'll go back and look a little bit more closely at those scenes in the book of Acts where the gospel was proclaimed. What did they talk about? I think you'll find that they just continued on what Jesus, they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom with Jesus Christ as Lord at the center, 
with all the ramifications of that. Um, I'd like for us to watch one more short video as my conclusion that kind of sums up in a short way this great message, this good news of the kingdom, the oiangelion, that we are privileged by God's grace to embody, to live out, and to proclaim to friends, neighbors, and work colleagues, and to represent as the body of Christ in Vienna. People often ask, who was Jesus really? And what was he all about? And there's a lot of misinformation going on out there, so I thought I'd better say something just to clear it up. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew who was announcing that this was the time for God to become king. He was plugging into expectations that had been building for a long time for the Jewish people as they knew that life wasn't the way it should be and they knew that their God, who was the creator God, had promised to come back and sort it all out one day. And Jesus was saying, the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom is here. This is the time for God to become king. And he was going about doing things that said, this is what it's going to look like. And he was telling stories which said, it's not going to be quite like you thought. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like somebody sowing seed and half of it seems to be wasted, but then there'll be a great crop. Or it's going to be like a father who had two sons and dot, dot, dot. And Jesus told these stories to say, it's happening now. Doesn't look quite like you imagined, but stick with me and you'll see this is how it's going to be. So the first thing is Jesus was announcing God's kingdom. But the second and in the middle is that Jesus was embodying God's kingdom. He was doing things, celebrating parties with all the wrong people, uh, sinners as they called them, people of bad character, but who were ready to latch on to a message of forgiveness and new starts and new creation and new life. And so Jesus was doing things like that and healing people of all kinds of diseases as a sign, this is what it looks like when God becomes king and new creation really begins to happen. But the trouble is, if he was embodying God's kingdom, then the forces of chaos and destruction and death were striking back pretty hard, which is why the focal point of the four stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is when Jesus goes to his death. Jesus seems to have believed it was his vocation to embody a moment when God would come in person and take the weight and horror of the world's evil and shame and sin and death itself upon himself and exhaust it. And the sign that he'd done that, the further embodiment of the kingdom, was that three days later he was alive again in a transformed new body. It was the same body and yet somehow different because it had gone through death and out the other side. Jesus was embodying the launching pad of God's new creation. And when we ourselves get to know Jesus for ourselves, and when we talk to other people about him, and when we try and live the kingdom way, we too are supposed to be embodying the kingdom in a way that makes it attractive and, and, and winsome to people who are looking on from the outside. So the third thing is that Jesus was also 
enabling God's kingdom because after he was raised from the dead, he sent his spirit upon his followers and told them to get on with the job of doing in the world what he had been doing close up and personal among his own people. And that's the power and the promise of the kingdom today that when we pray thy kingdom come, we are really praying that all that Jesus did will somehow be channeled through his spirit, through us, through all his people out into the world, to our friends, to the wider world, to people we maybe don't know about at all, but who need to see the signs of the kingdom in God's world. So Jesus was announcing the kingdom. He was embodying the kingdom, especially in his death and resurrection. And by his spirit, he's enabling the kingdom. And that's the promise which he holds out to us today. Kingdom proclamation, this good news of the kingdom, is entrusted to us. It's going to be fulfilled completely when Jesus comes again and not until he comes again. But we have the privilege of embodying, of living and proclaiming this good news. And I trust that God's spirit is going to be working in you personally and in you as a church, particularly as you're thinking about, okay, merger talks and that this will be one of those driving motivations as to why you would want to do something like that. Amen.